when Rennie asked about what my consideration would be, um, I, I said, I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't planning to look at the topic of humility. Um, and as I prayed and as life did what life does, um, the Lord was really uh, reminding me of some lessons that I still have a lot of learning to do about um, on this particular topic. And so really what I want to focus on is, is what God's call is to us uh, as it pertains to living humbly before him and, and, and walking, living our Christian life with humility. So as I've asked you to turn to, to Micah chapter six, we've got a, a, a number of passages that we're going to look at with the Lord's help. And so I'm going to be skimming from them. Again, I'm going to give you some of the verses on the screen. Um, it might be easier for you to have it there if that's um, convenient. Um, but let's just sort of look at some of these verses. And so the reality is that God calls his people in reflection of who he is. And, and the passage that, that Randy, um read this morning from Hebrews 12, really frames that so nicely. This is who I am. This is what I have done. This is now what I would ask you to do. Uh, that, that's a logical appeal. And then we see a very similar appeal in Micah chapter 6. Um, if you, we jump in at verse 1, we read, hear now what the Lord is saying. And, and so the Lord says, I'm, I, I want to talk to you. We need to talk, right? Um, it's never really encouraging to me when my boss would call me into their office and say, we need to talk. Um, you know, sometimes it was fine, but sometimes it wasn't. And, and God is sitting down with his people, as it were, and says, says to them, we need to talk. And he's making a case. And so he's saying to them, remember, remember what I've done for you. And really verses one through five are the Lord saying, can I remind you of how I have looked after you? Can I remind you of how I've cared for you? Can I remind you of the righteous acts that I have done to, to care for you and to look after you? And, and he says, I, I need you to respond a certain way. And, and so the prophet Micah, recording for God, would go on and, and, and ask that question. Well, what is it that the Lord would want? With what would I come to the Lord? What would I, in, in what kind of frame of mind, with what in my hands might I bow myself before him? And the response comes back in verse 8. He has told you what's good. Don't ask God to do what you already know he's told you to do. And, and it's a bit of a rebuke. And, and he goes on to speaking for God. And he says, this is what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God is, is the message that we get through Micah. God says, if you want to respond to me properly, one aspect of that appropriate response is living, walking humbly with me. And, and so there's an appeal to humility there. I'd invite you now to turn to Romans chapter 12. We could land only in Micah and I think make a case that God would call us to be humble, but I think it will help us and it might reinforce it in our minds to see that in the New Testament, Writing to the church at Rome, we're going to see a very similar message. Again, verses that some of us may know well. And again, we're going to just pick out some points there. But Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, Romans 12 and 1, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. It goes on in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, there needs to be a difference. There needs to be a change in our lives. 
And, and often in my experience, I would stop at the end of verse two because you know that's a pretty nice package of things to chew on. But the reality is the rest of Romans 12 goes on to say, this is what it needs to look like. When, when, when Paul says, I want you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, when I want you to not be conformed to this world, when I want you to be different, this is what I'm saying to you to do. And so in verse three, he starts off with an appeal to humility. He says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. In other words, this call again, as we would respond to God, needs to be characterized by humility. And the rest of the, the, the chapter really goes on to, to give some of the details of what that would look like, some of the specifics of how it might play out. But, but again, if you jump down to verse 16, we're going to see that he, he re returns to sort of make the same point. He says there, if possible, sorry, verse 16, having a senior moment with bad eyesight. There we go. Be of the same mind, sorry. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, which would be a synonym really for pride, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Of course, I'm having a senior moment trying to read my Bible and I realize it's on the screen. I could have read it, but that's, you know, senior moments of a different kind, right? But, but, but that's the appeal. As we live out our lives, as we reflect who it is that God wants us to be, one element of that, and there's lots of elements, but one element of that is that we're called to be humble. And, and that's really what I want to focus on this morning. And you say, why? Like, has someone told you that we're a proud people? No. Um, but I want to tell you right now, and there's a lot of fun we can have that. I'm not proud of saying this, but, but it's a struggle for me. It, it, it's been for me, um, and I won't go into all of the details. It's not, I'm not here to talk about me, but, but it was a moment really a couple years ago, three years ago, where I was just like, all of a sudden I saw in myself an attitude that I didn't like at all and didn't really understand. And as I prayed about it and tried to ask the Lord to show me what was going on, I went, oh, this is a nasty pride. And it was just at the beginning for me of a journey where it was almost like I had sort of uncovered it. It's like when you buy a car that you think no one has, and as soon as you have it, all of a sudden everyone else has it because now that you, you recognize it on the road. And it was this, this discovery of, of pride in myself, which was really humbling. <laughs> Um, but not necessarily producing all of the things that needed to happen right away. But then I kept seeing it in other parts of my life. I'm like, oh, I'm being proud there too. Oh, and, and it, it was really overwhelming. And, and so this has been a journey for me and, and a journey where I recognized essentially, and I'll talk more about this a little bit later, but that as we grow as Christians, my experience has been that I didn't necessarily deal with my pride. I more learned how to hide my pride. And, and so that's been my journey. And, and that's been one of my struggles. And that's been, as I said, just circumstances very recently have brought me back to having to work through some of these things. And I just trust God that that's what he would have for us. Again, maybe not because you needed it, but because the man speaking needed to be reminded of it, even if it comes from my voice. And so that's really what we want to look at together this morning. Um, by way of outline, because, you know, good high school teachers always give outlines and, you know, here's our objectives, our, our learning goals for this morning, if you will. We want to start with understanding how is it that God has been so good to us? This appeal that God makes in his word, right? We saw it in Romans 12. Paul would say, in light of God's mercies, in, in view of what God has done, right? That's what we saw in Micah. Well, let's remind ourselves, what has God done? 
again, we could spend a month on that. But let's just, as a quick overview, what is it that God has done that needs to be the basis for this response? And then we want to understand a little bit about what humility looks like, how it lives itself out. Um, and, and then personally, really, this, this third part has been what I've been trying to work through and not really succeeding anywhere near like I want to, but, but is recognizing the obstacles and the challenges and, and maybe recognizing where it's very subtle and, and yeah, I've gotten good at hiding it, but it's still there and, and naming it and recognizing it and then prayerfully beginning to address it. So that's really um, what I would like us to look at as we approach this together. So first of all, understanding God's blessings. I just want to give us a couple of verses to frame this. Verses I think that we know, but verses that we would do well to remind ourselves. We have an incredible plan of salvation available to us. We have a God, as you can see on the screen, who loved us so much that he gave his son. We have a God who loves us so much that he said, your sin, you can't pay for it. But I'm going to send my son and he's going to pay for your sin so that you don't have to so that you can be born again, so that you can have a relationship with me. Yeah, that sin that you've done, it has a penalty, and that penalty is death. And, and I, I'm, I'm making a bit of an assumption that the vast majority of, of the people in the room understand this and have personalized it. But, but I do want to make sure that, that we all understand this truth. Uh, this is where we need to start. We need to start with an understanding that the wage of sin is death, as you can see on the screen, right? That the, the natural consequence to who i am is separation from god for forever but that a god who loved us so much has given us a way to change that and we have a gift unmerited unearned a gift of eternal life through the lord jesus christ and 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 that's the goodness of god in a nutshell that's the 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 mercies of god that paul would be referring to in romans 12 he's really spent you know, chapters one through 11, working up through the, the, the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's plan of winning back those who were lost. And he says, it's in light of all of that goodness of God in giving us a way to be right with him when we have no rights to be otherwise. In light of those mercies, we need to be humble. And that's really what we need to understand together this morning. We need to be born again. We must be born again, scripture would say elsewhere. And that's where it needs to start for us. But then we go on then and we respond. And if you can turn to 2 Corinthians. Because again, I've just given you a couple of verses there. But again, it's, it's this same appeal of in light of God's mercies. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, if we have responded to those verses, to those truths that we were just looking at. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And if you're a new creature, it's the idea of rebirth, of metamorphosis. You have a whole different life that you're being called to. The old things have passed away. New things have come. And, and so then he's begging with them. He talks about his own ministry of trying to reconcile people back to God. And he concludes with this in verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And here's what now we're called to, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's what we're called to. In light of the fact that we are new creations, we're called to be those who would live out that righteousness of God, that we would reflect the righteousness of God in our lives. 
And again, as I've said, for our time this morning, having established this foundation, what's one way that I live out God's righteousness? With a genuine commitment to walking humbly, to living humbly before him. And so that's really as we would then jump into what does it mean to be humble? That, that's really the foundation for us. So if you turn to John 13. John 13, if I can suggest this, we get a little bit of an object lesson on what it means to be humble. We read there, starting at verse 3. Again, this is the, the upper room. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is his time, what we sometimes call the upper room ministry, where he's just got his 12, and, and he's just trying to sort of give them last bits of things that he wants them to have before he leaves them. And that time starts with this lesson in humility. And so we read, jumping in at verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He would go on to, to tell them later on that what I have done, I've given you an example, that you would be the same. And, and so he's essentially personified. He's lived out what it means to be humble. And then he says, I want you to do the same. Well, what do we see here about humility? I would suggest, first of all, humility isn't pretending. Something isn't true about us that actually is true. If you notice what we read, it says Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that he had come forth from God, knowing that he was going to God. See, sometimes in my mind growing up, and I don't know whether it was just my own confusion or whether it was misrepresented in the instruction I received, but I kind of thought that being humble meant that even when you knew you were good at something, you were supposed to pretend you were bad. You know, like that, that was kind of how it was portrayed to me. And, and I would suggest that that's not being humble. That that's being deceptive, you know. Um, I'm not. It could be being deceptive for you know admirable reasons because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. But 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 Jesus here knows full well who he is. Knows full well what you know, what, you know where he's come from and where he's going. But that doesn't stop him from doing the other part of humility, because in knowing all of those things, he chooses to take off his garment. He chooses to put on a towel. He chooses to wash their feet. And, and that's really, I would suggest, like, as I said, the, the summary of what does it mean to be humble? It means to acknowledge who you are, to acknowledge what maybe God has blessed you with, to acknowledge what you might, in fact, have a right to, what you might, in fact, be entitled to. But you let go of that. And instead, what you do is you put others first. That, I would suggest, is what we're called to as we would walk humbly. And so, jump, if you would, to Philippians. Paul is going to elaborate on that for us with some pretty specific instructions. And then he's going to follow it up, and we're going to look at the follow-up example that he gives us. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read this. Do nothing from selfishness 
which we will mention again later, is really the, one of the ways that, or one of the behaviors that is the opposite of being humble. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is, this is the call to being humble. Notice again, he says, with humility of mind, regard one another. Consider, treat, right? When we regard, I'm speaking, you know, obvious things to us. But, you know, again, if you have any French background, you understand that the idea of regarding means to look, right? It's your perception. It's your view of things. And what he's saying is you need to take on a view, a perspective on life that says they are more important than me. That's what it means to be humble. In my view, you are more important. In my view, I am less important. Doesn't mean that I can't do things. Doesn't mean that I don't have abilities. I don't have privileges, perhaps. But I relinquish some of those because you are more important to me. And when I behave that way, and notice, by the way, it says with humility of mind. It's not something on the outside. And this is, again, where my journey, you know, I would refer back to my journey because it's not about what you would see. It's about what I know to be true in my heart. With humility of mind, I consider others to be more important than me. So what does this actually look like? Well, we're going to stay in Philippians chapter 2 because Paul is going to go on and appeal to us as believers to have the mind of Christ. And if we look there, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we wanted to know what walking humbly with having this view would look like, he says, well, let me show you. Let me tell you. Speaking of the Lord, verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so what do we see? We're like, what can we take away from this portrayal of the Lord as our ultimate example? Right? Well, we see that he was in the form of God. He didn't consider equality with God something like that. That wasn't a, you know, a stretch for him. If I can say it this way, he was entitled to certain things. But what do we read? He didn't claim those. He took on human flesh. He became obedient to death. He took on not only just death, but death on the cross. That's, that's the ultimate example. And so as we would think about, if I can give us really three points for what does it mean to walk humbly, this would be point number one. When we walk humbly, we accept less than what we're entitled to as we try to care for others. When we walk humbly, we accept less than what we're entitled to. And that word entitled, I've thought a little bit about that word entitled because often we use entitlement as a negative. And it can be used negatively for, for reasons I think that we would agree on. But I think we would all agree that there's certain things that we feel like we're entitled to that I don't think are bad. You are entitled to a seat in this room. Right? You are entitled, you know, to being able to walk down the street and, and not feel like people should pick on you in particular ways or be discriminated against. There's, there's things that are legitimate entitlements. And our Savior had legitimate entitlements. There was nothing wrong with him acknowledging those entitlements, but he let go of them. 
because he wanted to care for us. And when we walk humbly, there's things that, that everybody would agree that we should be allowed to have. There are things that everybody would agree that we should be allowed to do. They're not controversial at all. But when I'm walking humbly, I'm letting go of those because I want to put others first. Walking humbly says I'm going to let go of what I'm entitled to to care for others. Point number two, and we're not going to look there for the sake of time, but if we were to look in Numbers chapter 12, and I'm just going to summarize um, some of what happens here. Um, but in Numbers chapter 12, Moses, who's leading the people of God, um, Moses, they're traveling through the wilderness. And at one point, there's a bit of a coup attempt on Moses' leadership. And his brother and his sister, um, Aaron and Miriam, essentially, and I would gather very publicly, accuse him of wrongdoing. They call his integrity into question. They call the motives of what he's doing into question. They essentially call him out in front of the whole nation. And were we to take time to look at it in more detail, you would notice that Moses says nothing. Nothing. We would see God step in and God has a lot to say. And Miriam and Aaron are judged. And Miriam, by the time God is done talking with them, she's covered in leprosy. And Moses is going to speak up for the very first time in defense of his sister. But in the face of all of the accusations that he is being um, subjected to, he doesn't open his mouth. He leaves it with God to take care of. And if I can suggest this, when we walk humbly, we don't worry about what others are going to say about us. We worry about representing God accurately. See, the reality I would suggest, and again, we're, I'm just summarizing a story that we could spend a lot more time on, and I apologize for that. But the reality was he was God's leader. This was a public spat between leaders in front of the people. And the reality was he could have defended himself. He could have vindicated himself, but it would have made God's leaders look bad in front of the people. And I would suggest to you that Moses was more concerned about God's honor more concerned about representing God and God's people well than he was about clearing his own name, about vindicating himself. And when I walk humbly, it doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to speak up in defense of myself under the right set of circumstances. But there can be times when others might say things about me that I know aren't true. But defending myself is just going to make it really messy. And Moses, by the way, in, in Numbers chapter 12, and some people sort of look at this with a little bit of cynicism because we know that God used Moses, in fact, to author Numbers chapter 12. But in Numbers 12, we're told that Moses is the ultimate example of a humble man, right? Like he's given to us in this circumstance, the description of being the ultimate humble man. And what do we see the ultimate humble man doing? Saying nothing in the face of accusations more concerned about God's glory than about clearing his name. Turn to 2 Kings, though, if you would, chapter 22. Again, we're not going to look at all of these verses. I, I haven't put these verses on the screen because we're just, for time's sake, we're just going to look at a couple of them. But 2 Kings 22 is a story of, of a pretty stirring king one of my favorites 
we wanted to get controversial. Some would say, including me, perhaps, you know, perhaps the best king Israel ever had. Isn't that David? I'm just trying to be controversial, see if you're paying attention. Um, but the reality is Josiah is given to us as, as an incredible example of a king who sought God. He took over the throne at a time when really the people were not walking with God at all. He, he came on the throne as a, as a very young boy um, after his father and his grandfather had not done anything good for God. And, and the nation is really turned from God. And we read this in verse 8. It says, then Hilkiah the priest. So he's got them cleaning up the temple. Like this is one of the first things he's done as king is we need to clean things up where God's house is. And in verse 8, we discover that the high priest says, I found the book of the law of the Lord. And so in verse 10, the scribe takes the book to the king and says, here's the book. And Shaphan, the scribe, reads it in the presence of the king. Verse 11, when the king, this is Josiah, heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And then he commanded a variety of names, as you can see. In verse 13, he says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people of all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to this book. And so he realizes, oh, we're not doing at all what God would want us to do. And, and so he sends them. And in verse 18, God speaks back to Josiah. And this is what he says. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation, a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you. And, and so we're given this example of Josiah who's leading with this humility. And, and again, the third point, right? If, if we're going to walk humbly like our Savior, we're going to let go of what we're entitled to. We're going to walk humbly like Moses. We're going to keep our mouths shut when we could completely defend ourselves. If we're walking humbly, we're going to let God show us where we've gone wrong. And when God shows us where we've gone wrong, we're actually going to do something about it. And this was Josiah. And God says, this is what humility looks like in a leader. Humility in a leader says, when God says, nah, then I say, nah. -uh. When God says, you can't do that anymore, then I stop doing it. I allow this book to have the authority that God would want it to have in my life. That's what walking humbly would look like, I would suggest. So what gets in the way of walking humbly? Really, pride, selfishness, arrogance. Those are all really, you know, very synonymous. They're not exactly synonyms, but they, they capture very those same ideas. And, and they're obstacles. They get in the way. They, they, they interfere with us being genuinely humble. Um, are they a problem? I'm glad you asked. They're absolutely a problem, right? God's opposed to the proud, right? Opposition from God shouldn't sit well with us. God is saying, I am coming after you if you're going to behave with pride, right? God takes pride very seriously. Proverbs chapter 16, pride leads to destruction, stumbling. Right? We need to be on our guard against it. And then as I said to you before, this has been my journey, that last point, is that, you know, as I've grown as a Christian, as I've grown as an adult, period, you know, my experience, my reflection, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm not proud of this, it's humbling. I wasn't, I didn't want to talk about it because I was too embarrassed by it, but that's pride. 
right? Um, but it's, it's this, this truth that really I haven't become more humble intrinsically or naturally. What I've become is better at hiding my pride. And that's a problem. The problem for Craig, and I share this only so that, again, like may, maybe you like me, I might have sat through a message like this, uh, you know, recently, you know, a few years ago and thought, you know, no, I, I, I think I've got this, which should have been a warning sign right there. I think I've got this figured out. But, um, but it was just when the Lord really just sort of lifted the lid on, on sort of the deeper thinkings that were in my head and in my heart. And I recognized them for what they were. And I'm like, ah, this is ugly. This is dishonoring God. And so I want to just take a minute, a few minutes, the time that we've got left, to look at just a couple examples where we see pride in its subtle forms. Two stories for us to, to consider. And the first of them is Nebuchadnezzar. And, and for time's sake, we're not going to dive in like we could. But uh, in, in Daniel chapter 4, he has the dream of the tree, you remember, and the tree is cut down and Daniel comes in and interprets the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And he essentially says, this is what God's going to do to you if you don't humble yourself. He said, this is a result of your pride. Well, if I can summarize it quickly for time's sake, Nebuchadnezzar's pride manifested itself in two ways. It manifested itself because he took credit for what God was doing, right? If you remember that the trigger eventually was when he looked at the glory of his kingdom and says, isn't this Babylon and all that I have done? And God says, that's enough, right? Today, I'm going to humble you. But the second thing, and this one I didn't notice, and it was pointed out to me by someone else I was listening to speaking on Daniel. And they pointed out the fact that as Daniel pleads with Nebuchadnezzar to break away from his sin, one of the ways that he pleads with him is to show mercy to the poor, to treat others the way you should. And as again, as I reflect on that, these go together, but they're both subtle. Because sometimes I look at things that I can do. And I think that they are things that I can do. They're not. They're things that God has enabled me to do. And when I can do things that you can't do, now I think less of you because I'm thinking more of me. And Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was a mastermind. I mean, I've studied the book of Daniel a little bit. And in my journey through learning more about Daniel and the characters in, this, in the book of Daniel, you know, initially I thought Nebuchadnezzar was just crazy, like just a madman. And he might have been to some degree, but he was also brilliant. He was an incredibly talented man with, with, with a brilliant mind for a variety of, of you know, abilities in, in terms of government and art and, and structure and language and all of those things. But in doing the things that he wanted to do to reveal his talent, he stepped on a lot of people. He treated a lot of people badly. Right? Chapter 5 would describe Nebuchadnezzar. It says, whom he killed, he killed. Whom he raised up, he raised up. He had no regard for life. Nobody was as important as he was. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful. I, I, again, I'm just starting with Craig. I find it in myself all the time when someone doesn't look the way I think they should look. When they don't value the things I think they should value. When they allow themselves a lifestyle that I don't think they should allow themselves. 
I treat them different. Maybe not on the outside, because I'm better at that now. But on the inside. I would suggest that that's pride. And that's getting in the way of me walking humbly the way God would call me to walk. Whatever I can do is by the grace of God. No more and no less. And if she can't do what I can do, praise God that I can do it. Let me have mercy and desire to help and not judge and not look down and not condemn. Nebuchadnezzar fell into that in a big way. By the grace of God, we won't. But, but for the grace of God, we won't. Let's be warned of that subtlety. Turn to Second Chronicles 26 as we close. Second Chronicles 26, another story of an incredibly successful king. Chapter starts in chapter 26 with Uzziah as a 16-year-old. And man, is he doing great things for God. Um, you know, he, he's, he's doing all kinds of engineering feats. I mean, again, I, I, we're not going to take time. He, he, he just had all kinds of things that he could do. And, and it summarizes all of his accomplishments. At the end of verse 15, it says this, Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But read the next verse. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful for the Lord is God. And what happened was Uzziah essentially said, you know what? God says this, but I think I have a better way. God says only the priests get to go into the temple. That doesn't make sense to me. Maybe you've never said that. But I have it. Again, I'm much better at not saying it with my, with my lips. But sometimes I would suggest that in our pride, we see what God says. We see what his word asks us to do. We see God doing God things. And we say, that doesn't make sense to me. And somehow we want to bring God down to our level so that everything he does needs to make sense to me. That's pride. And Uzziah goes into the temple to burn incense, and the judgment of God is immediate. We have to be so careful. Because again, maybe you're not like me, but my reflection on my own life is that I would never say those things on the outside. I'm far enough down the Christian walk. But do I really give God's word full authority? Am I committed to obeying what God says not just on the outside, not just when others are looking, but with my heart, with my mind, with my life? Or are there subtle ways where I'm saying, yeah, you know, I don't know that I agree with the Bible saying that. God's word needs to have full authority. And when we know what God has said, we need to obey and we need to value it as absolute truth. So again, just two little subtleties as we conclude. We looked at three points, and I just want to reiterate them now. We have a God who's done great things. We have this incredible plan of salvation. And if you haven't 
personally availed yourself of that, that's where it needs to start for you this morning. By responding to what it is that God wants to do in your life, by responding to his offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ and through him alone. God wants us to live a particular way. And one element of that is walking humbly, living a life that's characterized by not on the outside only, but having a mind, having the mind of Christ, humble on the inside. And if we're going to do that, we need to watch out for subtle pitfalls, things that can trip us up. And we need to recognize them and turn from them for God's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, help each of us. If, if you're going to show us something that we need to change, help us to be like Josiah and to genuinely turn from it. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to acknowledge that you know best. Father, there's nothing that you ask us to do that isn't for our best. We can trust your heart. In every way, you can be trusted. Remind us of that. Strengthen us by your spirit to act on the, on the basis of that, on that truth. And help us if we need to turn, to turn. Father, if we're walking humbly and we are honest about that and we know that to be true, strengthen us and, and, and help us to continue to, to walk that way for your being. We just thank you for this time we've had in your word. We pray that you would use um, the truths in your word in our lives for your glory. Part us now with your blessing to be prayed. In the name of Jesus Christ.